Cossack community. I'm Chris C., the founding director of the Cossack Project, coming to you from the land of the Web3. Welcome to another episode of Web3 Watch. Today, I'm joined by DM3 CEO Stefan Cooks, who's going to talk about decentralized messaging, especially as it relates to the Web3 world and the value creation and the human on the other side, and how do we bring them together uh, so that we're not just talking about assets and numbers, but we're actually building a social structure and these have a real-time coordination in addition to the capability that I think we all are seeing more and more need for, which is a decentralized way of coordination. So welcome, Stefan. Hi, thank you for having me here. Yeah, so really excited to talk about this topic because I think a lot of the uh, the, the conversation about Web3 is, you know, what else can we do beyond tokens and NFTs? And there are a lot of research projects and, and different projects working on extending uh, uh, the decentralized Web or Web3 infrastructure beyond just the asset part trading and then getting into things like coordination and obviously messaging is one part of that. Can you tell me a little bit about like, your journey in Web3 and what kind of drove you to uh, working on this idea of direct messaging or Web3 messaging. Yeah, when we talk about messaging or DM3, so it starts actually about one year before. So we were building our new company, Corpus, a venture studio for Web3 applications, and we tried to acquire some ENS names. So they are available at OpenSea mm. as, uh, as NFTs, but what we could not do is to reach out to the owners of them. Now we could with a place, right. but we could not send a message to them. So, and this was actually the birth hour of, of DM3. We thought with Web3, we have all these keys, we can do a good cryptography, we can share public keys for encryption, that's easy. And right. it must be possible to send a message directly from, from me to any holder of the other key. And this was, so the idea behind DM3, we started building a protocol and in the beginning also an application that we can do this. Yeah. Yeah, and after a while, we discovered there are a lot of other Web3 messaging protocol out there. And what we really need is not a new messaging application, but what we really need is that we can be interoperable with others. Now, when we look at the Absolutely. messaging world today, now in the Web2, we have all these different messengers. And yeah, they are... Silo, yeah. they have siloed data, and if I'm part of one ecosystem, I can use or I have to use the messenger which is used in this ecosystem. But if you yeah, the, the the classic debate of a uh, you know iOS uh, and and showing up in a different color within Android or vice versa, right? Like that is that's not really compatible, really. Yeah. So if you look at your smartphone, as at least at my smartphone, I have at least ten different messaging applications. So one I need for my family, mm -hmm. one yes. for my colleagues, another I use for people in the web three space, and so it is really complicated because yeah we have to use these different messaging tools or messengers, and yeah what would be the best thing to interact with others? The best thing would be yeah, I absolutely. use the messenger I like and can send a message to anyone else. Right, and and the the, the so is, are you talking about like the the goal of uh, a federation of these messaging protocol where the addressability within one network, let's say someone using WhatsApp or something like that, or someone using Discord or someone using XMTP, uh, can actually have a way of con contacting each other? Is that the the, the ultimate goal? Yeah, so so when, yeah, when we look at these ecosystems now, of course they have all special features which are good for these ecosystems. 
But yeah, what they cannot do is to send messages across the borders of these ecosystems. And, and this mm. was a reason why we changed a little bit the direction of our development so that we not only build a, another messaging solution, which is one in the row of a lo lot of others, but build a mm -hmm. protocol and uh, a, a way to get interoperability possible starting in the Web3 world, but also with the right. chance to adapt it in the Web2 world as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, in Web3, there's been uh, kind of discussion of the similar drive of the use case. I think NFT use case is very obvious, right? You have a opportunity to know that someone owns something and you want it. And it, you know, right now, unless they list it or somehow otherwise participate in some other kind of secondary marketplace or sharing point, there's no way for the direct messaging. I mean, you can send a transaction and put a message in the in the transaction somehow but nobody's reading that <laughs> other than some some uh, like uh, like traders who are like you know kind of researching etherscan um so what is your sense of the kind of adoption of the messaging protocol within the web3 space i wouldn't call them necessarily competitive but you know with your vision being bring them together like project like xmtp what is happening on with wallet connect kind of extending their install base on the wallet connect qr code synchronization to have a chat protocol do you see those as in the right direction where we need to go within the web3 space or do you think that this should be a different direction yeah, first of all, you mentioned something very important. Uh, you will never use the blockchain to do a messaging. No, of course not. Because this mm -hmm. would be yes. slow, it would be very, very expensive, and yeah, it, it doesn't make sense at all. But we have a lot of Web3 technologies which are very good to use for messaging. No? For instance, we have keys. Now, I have my wallet, and with a signature, my wallet, mm -hmm. I can create a key or can adapt the key which I can use very securely for my messaging as well. So, and for this, I don't need any centralized uh, intermediate right. who stores my connection data or I need to have an account somewhere. I have my wallet and I derivate from my wallet the keys for my communication. And then I, can, I need mm -hmm. to publish the information how to encrypt my messages and how to contact me. And this is actually... The essence of the yeah, of our analysis, what is really needed for a secure Web3 communication. But there are a lot of interesting things, right. a lot of very important parts of it. But the most essential part of this is you need a place where you can store the information, how to encrypt the messages. You need to publish yes. the public keys and you need the information how to send a message to someone else. And this is actually the base right. core of the DM3 protocol. Right. Those three things, right? I mean, is it three uh, things or about two, three things, two. right? No, you need this place where to, where to store it. Uh, you need the place yep. where to store the, um, the information of the public keys. And you need information yep. how to deliver a message. I see. So storage of the keys and the delivery, which is, again, in a Web2 space, a uh, company like Keybase was attempting to do those things, which is the uh, kind of deploying this idea of being able to look up these keys. And then uh, I think they then, you know, go beyond just being a key storage and they actually kind of productize into a messaging thing as a way to use that key system. Neither of them worked. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that doesn't exist yeah. anymore. So, so, in so when we look a little bit back in the history of messaging or the internet, we see the very first killer application in the internet was email. 
it was a yes. kind of decentralized service. And you had these post office service, also your, 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 mm -hmm. your, 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 your web server, uh, web server so where you could send the message to or you could receive messages to. So the thing which was not good with email was it was never encrypted. Right? So when it's yes, started. by default, it's just clear text for all exactly. to see. Yeah. It's quite crazy if you think so about it. Later on, there was a lot of tries to get encryption into email as well. Now we had the PGP initiative. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you use yes. these PGP keys. I did it. I tried to send my public key around with my emails. But guess what? I never received an encrypted message back. It, it, was, yeah. it was not easy to use. And actually, it was not possible to yeah, find out what are the public keys of the recipient. And that's why mm -hmm. what we really need is a central registry of this information. Yeah. And with Team 3, yeah. we have now used Web3 technologies to provide this central registry. We are using the ENS yes. name service as this central mm -hmm. but decentralized registry. And we have a central place yes. where to access it. But the application, of course, is decentralized. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, right? People are already using ENS as a way to convert between the human readable name and the addresses. Uh, and the key, the public key, in fact, is just similar to length and structure of the addresses, maybe a little bit different based on the encryption protocol. But from a presentational point of view, they're kind of the same kind of process, right? You just put it out there and people see it. And then now they have the ability. Exactly. To message exactly. you. Now, what we, the only thing what we need to do is to add the public keys of the encryption and also public keys to verify signatures to my ENS name. Mm -hmm. ENS provides a, a way yes. that we can store text information and we can add an additional text yes. information, which is the DM3 profile. And in this profile, we can store these public keys so that it's easy accessible from others. Yes. And and uh, it's really interesting that once you say, I'm going to use ENS for that, then you can have a conversation about whether the ENS is on mainnet. And obviously, most ENS are on mainnet. Uh, there are some thing about having sidechain. I don't completely understand it. Maybe you can give me a little bit. But I also am interested in the Coinbase uh, uh, model with the CB.ID, which is ENS subdomain that is kind of like hosted in the database, but exposed through the ENS protocol for people looking up that thing. So it seems like there are different ways even within the ENS protocol universe of where that stuff can and how it can be delivered. Exactly. This is the very important point. Good that you mentioned it. So, of course, if I have my ENS name, for me, I have my name, I use it, and then I can store my public profile on my name. This is transaction. Actually, it's not mm -hmm. quite cheap. When I do it on mainnet, I have to pay a lot yeah, for, for this sure. transaction. Yeah. And when we... For the update, right? Like for the actual updating of the key, the publishing maybe costs you $20 or $50. Exactly. Yeah, when I send my, uh, or update my DM3 profile in my ENS name, this costs me a lot of money. So, and of course, this mm -hmm. is good if I want to use my name, but for mass market adoption, this is quite not usable. And yes. you mentioned already that there are other ways how to do it. That we can use layer two solutions. Uh, so, for instance, we could use Optimism, Arbitrum, uh, no, these layer 2 uh, roll-ups we can use to store the information there and then link it to ENS. So, what we are using mm -hmm. for this is CCIP, the cross-chain interoperability protocol from, right. uh, from Chainlink. And with this, we can have 
validatable information which is not stored on chain. We can get information, we then of course we cannot get it from chain, then we get information where to acquire it off chain, and then we get the information and the proof, and this together we can prove on chain. And so we can get the information from directly layer one, we can have it in layer two, we can have it in any sidechain, and even mm -hmm. we could have it in a centralized database linked with the same mechanism to ENS. So from the ENS perspective, it looks completely the same. The only thing what you have, you have different resolvers, and one resolver gets it from main chain, one resolver from layer two, like Optimism, another gets it from a centralized mm -hmm. solution. Yeah, I think this whole layering of the names, so like the ENS name for itself, it, it does make a lot of sense for those assets as as they like domain name to be in this more expensive but rarely transacted namespace and therefore paying $40 to transfer ownership of a very valuable five-digit or five-letter ENS uh, .eth address makes sense. But for these ongoing updates, it's always, to me, it seems a little bit weird that, oh, here's my bio. Am I going to change my bio for 50 bucks <laughs> just because there's a text? record on mainnet. So uh, exactly. I, I think it's a really good thing to to have this idea. But I think the the using the ENS as the resolver and the as a protocol, as a way to access all this information, hopefully the ENS can provide that uh, uh, facade. So it doesn't matter where that information is coming from. Is that actually possible right now without some special SDK to actually use the ENS client SDK to get this amalgamated information? Absolutely. This is, this is live mm. and we are using it. That's awesome. So, so we have, uh, yeah, we are of course using layer one, but we also now have developed a resolver for optimism. We have also developed a resolver for centralized data so that it can be very easily yeah. integrated. That's really cool. Um, so, uh, so you mentioned two key components. It seems like we have a pretty good uh, way of leveraging the ecosystem investment in ENS and kind of operationalize that infrastructure in a way that is not only secure but also efficient. Uh, cost efficient, right? Yeah. So that's that. As far as the delivery of the messages is concerned, what do you think is the main uh, issue, right? Like, you know, Federated Net Network has this uh, uh, the challenge of saying, um, like, for example, people using these uh, Mastodon or something like that, like that, like they, they can't take an action on the server because the server has that protocol. You have to add it in your own home server. So there are some friction with, uh, with uh, federated systems. Um, in the particular uh, approach you're using, are you saying that everybody goes to my chat server or like essentially host a chat server, but you end up only your data that you created, your chat messages in your relationship, or is it a model that's even more federated? Than that? Yeah, let, let me explain how we have designed in our protocol. So actually it okay. is a little cool. bit similar to how it was done with email. So we call it a delivery service. So a delivery service is mm -hmm. a service which can receive messages and stores the messages as long as it is not required from the receiver. Now, if the receiver picks the message up, then the delivery service can right. delete the message. It's only a relay for the messages until they are delivered. So then these, these delivery services, they are, of course, yeah, services which also can be a, a break. Uh, and if I would only have one delivery service, then I would have a centralized system, which is not what we really want. But it is possible right. that everyone can run his own or her own delivery service. I can run it at home at my dev node, or I can use a delivery service which is provided as service. 
so that the user can decide what is the best delivery service or what are the best delivery services I want to use. And I with see. this, we have, don't have any single point of failure. Yeah, we, and we, there's no censorship possible because yeah, the, the user can decide what delivery service he wants to use. And it wants to use. And if right. he thinks this delivery service is not good for me, he decides to use another one. What's interesting about it is that this is not exactly the same as the compromise we we did with the post office protocol or POP or POP3, which is a, which is the delivery server because of the domaining system. It does uh, affect your identity, right? So if I'm going to be at a university and I'm using the university as my delivery service, I also have an identity tied to my name at university you know, ac.uk or edu or whatever it might be. In this case, we're saying that delivery service is only serving as a buffer. My name is separately defined in the ENS thing that we just discussed. Exactly. Is that the exactly. difference? So I have my name. For instance, sdcooks.eth, my, my uh, ENS name. And here I have published yeah. my information. So, and I can also have a subdomain, uh, be a, you know, it is not it must not be a level or a first level domain name so and this is my communication information if you want to send a message to me you would go to this ens registry look up my dm3 profile and here you will find a list of the delivery services i'm looking up and that's why it's it's completely decoupled i don't need to rely on any service of these delivery services now I even, as I said before, I even can run it at home on my home server because yeah, there's not that much traffic on this service. It only has to manage my own messages. Right. So delivery services are kind of like a post office box in the way that's underneath your commercial building or apartment building. It's just accumulation of what has not been delivered, uh, but gen uh, not has been received. So you go collect those things uh, like, oh, that's my 15 messages. I, I was offline or otherwise not available from this delivery service. When the user take that information and say, this is the last 10 message, what happens afterwards? Where does that message go? What is the permanent storage place for the messages being pulled off these kind of like, you know, relay or delivery service or super node, however you look so, at it. So actually this really depends on the client behind it. So the, maybe I have to add one more information to the delivery service. A delivery service can also act as a gateway to any other protocol or service. You know, for instance, if there is another protocol which wants to join the, the DM3 ecosystem, it has to run at least one or more delivery services. And then if a message is sent to this service, it is taken and then injected into this network or however this service works with messages. And with this, we, we, it is very easy to add other protocols or other services, other applications to the DM3 ecosystem. And this is the part where we think the interoperability comes to life. Nobody needs to completely replace their own protocols. They just have to build these gateways on delivery services so that they can access the, these messages sent in the DM3 network and then bring it to mm -hmm. their own network or to their own service. It could be a right. decentralized network. It could be a centralized service. We don't care because the delivery service of this service knows how to publish the message in the other network.
Right. And it, there's no reason the, 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 the actual message has to be just like a high or message. It could actually be a structured uh, thing. Like I can be delivering a request to buy something with an offer signed on it, right? And you can accept it if you send it back or something. That's certainly possible. Isn't exactly. It? So the good thing when we're using this kind of messaging, we have the information how to encrypt it. And the receiver also has the information how to verify all the signatures. So every information is fully end-to-end mm -hmm. -end encrypted and every information yes. is also signed so that the user can verify at any point that it's coming directly from the sender who, is, who was the sender of this message. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, you know, you know, in the email the regime, we know that the POP3 protocol, which is the post office protocol for the lay, end up being that people get so lazy that they say, you know what, I don't even want to manage my own mailbox on my computer or on my node. I want to have the service in, in, in the university case where you want to access a mailbox allocated space for it. So that in a way is another protocol, like the ability to filter or search on the server or on the thing is just adding that protocol layer on top of that exactly. the delivery service. This is a protocol extension we also have in DM3. So DM3 has, has a, is a big package of different protocol specifications. We have this message transport mm -hmm. protocol, what we discussed now, which is the very base. With this, we can do the interaction with others, uh, with other protocols, other services. But then we have also a specification how we think a message storage is best accomplished. There, there are mm -hmm. different ways how to store these messages. I can do this completely locally. If I don't yeah. trust anyone, this would be the, the best approach. Or I can use also a service where I store my messages in an encrypted way, then I have a kind of centralized yeah. storage. I can use decentralized storage if this is the best thing I want to do it. Or I can store it in the cloud in on the cloud drive, for instance. Now if I'm using Apple and I say, okay, I'm fine with it that I store my communication information encrypted on my Apple drive, that's fine. Not yeah. so we yeah. think the user must be able to decide where and how to store these messages. Now, he needs the self-sovereignty to decide how to interact with these things. Yeah, it's interesting to think about the actual uh, mailbox information, which is the accumulated history as an encrypted blob, where the, you need that key, which exists very close to the user. So that's where the Ethereum, you know, EVM key comes, not EVM, Ethereum key, public key pair comes in. Uh, we've been working on these kind of sim similar problems. And one of the things we realize is that the long-term storage of these things can be in many places, especially as encrypted. But indexing, allowing people to search for who sent me something, did they say this word, that requires the decrypted version. Um, so like you can't search an encrypted thing. So if someone has an encrypted storage in iCloud or in a proprietary SaaS database, you can't they can't offer you a search service because they can deliver it to you and your client can decrypt it, but they don't have ways to look inside it. Do you think that is an issue or is that something that can be solved somewhere? Yeah. The client will be responsible for indexing these messages. I say client has to so be indexed. It, it yeah. is, we, we cannot delegate it to any server because the server will not have any right, access right. to this. But the client can have and, and must have, of course, a, a way how to 
yeah, to, to index all this information so that the user can search on it. But nobody else will have access to it. Yeah, it's in interesting how little client-side indexing we see in dApps. I think a lot of dApps that's being built in this space are backed by uh, some graph services and some additional database that they do, and then they do the signature on the client side. But the indexing on the client, whether it's the browser or like a native application, has not been something that is uh, very popular yet because I think they didn't need it so far. Maybe some wallet does some indexing in the in the React Native code or something like that. But generally speaking, we're still in the world where the DAP does a lot of the amalgamation of data for on behalf of the user. Uh, but yeah, for encrypted communication, we cannot rely on the graph or subgraph. That's just crazy. Yeah, of course, you could outsource this process to an uh, to a server application, to a backend application. Uh, for uh, if if you if you think okay that's it, that's fine for my communication or maybe you run this indexing service on your delivery service node which you have on, on your home server then that's mm -hmm. completely fine uh, you don't need to do this in the browser or in 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 the smartphone app. Uh, mm -hmm. you you can use it in an external service which is only managing your data but what you can and don't want to do is that to, to open this communication that someone else is doing this for you and adds your index to all the other information. How it is now yes. done with, yeah, yeah. with Google and others. Yeah, I think that it, it's very, very you know difficult to provide that type of service that Google has made. Oh, I can search all your Gmail record. That type of stuff is somewhat incompatible. Now, with that being said, uh, a lot of work can be done in client-side indexing. In fact, in Cossack, we're doing a bunch of indexing in using Surface Worker, which is a way of running back-end programs that would have run on like Node.js, uh, but in your browser and do the indexes by information that comes to your browser and we essentially build a database on that and then it's giving you that things now we weren't using for encrypted communication the information is for kind of like as you're drafting something creating a thing we have a place to store them and let you find the thing you were working on before let's say you're making a payment or uh, orchestrating a series of multi-transactional call there's a place to store that as you compose them versus closing your browser and losing it all so it was for that purpose but i can definitely see that particular type of client-side persistent indexing being really compatible with the protocol as uh, as as opaque in the relayer but eventually it needs to be decomposed but in it's the only safe place to do it is probably your browser uh, especially with the protection that the browser brand that gives us maybe the browser is is this is one case now of course you should have a desktop application or a web application or a smartphone application yeah? so there are different types of applications you, yes, you, you yes. will have to make your messaging a good experience yes and then certainly with a with a uh, a wallet in a in a native sense then you have a database there and that, that could be where it's been done um Kind of zooming out a little bit, looking at the, the, the there's obviously a lot of discussion about the, uh, the the methods of doing decentralized messaging. Obviously, the granddaddy of decentralized messaging comes from the status team with the work they did in originally on Whisper using the uh, Grand Trio protocol, the, the the Ethereum EVM stuff, the Whisper. Uh, and then uh, uh, the, the storage protocol, which I don't know what it was called oh. anymore, but uh, one of them. A swamp, yes. Uh, I think IPFS and Filecoin, in a way, is satisfying that. And then Whisper has become Waku and Waku V2 is still in under active development. Do you think those protocol uh, are complementary to what you share with us today? Or do you think they are competitive? 
I think both things. So, of course, they have some things which are very unique to these protocols and they have their use cases. So when we were thinking about DM3, we also were thinking about what is needed to be scalable enough to manage mm-hmm. messaging in a big scale. Now, when we look at common right. messaging solutions, they are sending millions and billions of messages per day. Edit with mm. pictures, yes. video mm-hmm. content, and so on. Facebook Messenger, Discord, yeah, right? you know. Yeah. yeah. So, so when we look at this, this is a, a really big amount of data we have to, to carry on. So, and scalability is a very essential part of messaging in the future. Now we cannot say, okay, let's build yes. a solution. It is very secure now, privacy preserving and scalable. We will look at in the, in the future that this. Yeah. 10 years. <laughs> don't think this will work. And with the, uh, with the network or the, with the approach of team three, uh, we have a scalable approach from the very beginning because these, mm network or these delivery service network nodes, they are not connected directly. They are not sending messages to each other. This is a loose network of nodes. And if I need more uh, more bandwidth, I can add more nodes. And in this way, it scales Mm -hmm. very easily. So, and if there is a an application using another protocol, as I said before, does, that's not a problem because DM3 is not a replaceable protocol. Now we wa- don't want to replace other protocols or services. We want yes. to integrate. So with this approach, you have this central registry in ENS and you have these delivery services right, right, which right. can act as gateway to other protocols. It's very easy to add other messaging protocols or services to this DM3 ecosystem. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think, you know, when we think about peer-to-peer messaging protocol, the first thing is let's take the chatter that is coordinating all these, like, you know, block mining and use that as a messaging foundation. But if that is useful, the billions of messages sent today, the chatter will completely overwhelm any system because of the inefficiency of using peer-to-peer gossip, for lack of a better word, to coordinate just discovery of who anybody is, right? Like, that seems expensive yeah, to me. It, and there, there might be some problems in the future. If we have a lot of messages, these nodes must be very, very powerful. Right? If you mm-hmm. receive yeah. one, one billion messages per day with attachments and so on, and you have to yeah, yeah. send it across a network, then this is a lot of data you have to manage. And that's why we think, yes, there are really good use cases where this is the best approach to do that. For sure. So, but DM3 has, we have the goal to look a little bit wider, how to connect all these ecosystems. And that's why we think interoperability is really the key feature for, for the future so that it is not necessary for the user anymore that yeah, he has to run a lot of different messengers or for an, uh, for right. an application to uh, provide access to several protocols because this blows all applications up. And if they have only one interface, one small interface to implement and then be compatible yeah. to all others, then this is a very good approach to make scalability possible. 
Yeah, and I think it's nice that the the part that would have been the chatter is just finding out where someone is and what node they want to use and what protocol want to use. And ENS, which is a kind of a decentralized solution to a centralizing architecture, which is there is a central place for you to find it, uh, is actually much more powerful uh, than just a very valuable five-digit ETH name. So I think I think there's a misalignment of the technology potential of uh, ENS being that you know centralized, lazy architecture with a decentralized implementation versus just uh, uh, trying to continue the gossip protocol approach, which is really two very different uh, starting point of a solution. And I, I, I see what you did there. You're saying I can achieve the same decentralized messaging goal starting from another end, but traversing the ecosystem uh, like ENS and CCIP in a way that uh, other people starting from gossip in the protocol synchronization level would not uh, do that. I, 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 am I characterizing this roughly correctly? Yeah, of course. Of course, there are also some Backsides. Huh? Of course, with a gossip protocol, you can do something which is not built in in DM3. Now, for instance, to have a deniable receive of a message, it's not built in directly in DM3. Now, if I if I hmm. could monitor a delivery service, I would see someone has sent it a message and another one has picked it up. And with this, yeah, we would have this metadata connection. No, no content is revealed, right, but I have right, right. connections. Yes. And for this, of course, we have also another protocol extension, uh, which we call the privacy extension, so that we can use delivery mm -hmm. services in the same way like the Tor network is used, uh, that you cannot send mm -hmm. or will not send the message directly to the receiver, you will send it to I another uh, uh, delivery service, and you have some envelopes packed in uh, in 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 each other, so that it will be sent to a delivery service, this redirects to another, and so on. And after some hops, also we have the, a complete decoupled sender and measure relationship, sender and receiver relationship. Right. I see. So instead of being like the nature of the gossip protocol where a bunch of messages are flooded into the channel and you pick up what you want, you basically say, well, we have a more directed channel, but by doing a sequence of relays and somehow opacity that comes with a design similar to Tor, you achieve similar privacy okay. goals. That's really cool. And, and I think the question I have for you is, like, you know, I, I completely get the, the approach and how it's different. I think one of the challenge for most people, especially if they're not technologists, understanding Web3 is that a lot of similar sounding words from a end user point of view has very different philosophy and different trade-offs. And the trade-offs sometimes don't come through in either marketing material or memes or tweets or even Discord messages. And, or, and, and even in GitHub, like things look more the same than they're different. If you have a React project, then it looks more the same and you have to really dig in to see the subtle differences. I'm glad we're able to talk a little bit more kind of broadly. Um, tell me, like from the from a use case point of view, obviously regular messaging that inspired this thing, it's like messaging a uh, NFT owner, in this case, an ENS owner for, uh, for deals, one use case. Are there other use cases that if that these extensions are in place and people have wallets that can generate these uh, message encryption key as well as the more traditional uh, transactional signing. Uh, what are the two or three use cases that you believe that uh, we can enable that would accelerate the adoption or make it more real to people? Because that's the one piece that dApps are missing. 
what, what, what do you see as the driving possibility space that DM3 opens up? So I think there are, are several different use cases. So one use case is a depth-to-depth -depth messaging, what, what you can provide for your users. Now, if you want to build hmm. an application from, for instance, a marketplace or a wallet where you have different key holders in it, now it would be a very important thing that these can communicate with each other. Or if you have a gaming application, then you I have in-app in or in-game in communication. And of course, these things exist at the moment. Mostly they are done with a centralized approach. But with DM3, it is right. very easy to in, include it in your application. Now we all, beside the protocol, we are also also providing a set of, we call it embedded widgets, which you can add to your application with only one or two lines of code. And with this, you have a right. full-featured messaging functionality with all the security, privacy, all what you need in your application. And with this, you have a very unique way and very easy way to, yeah, to build these messaging functionality into your applications. So this is one use case. So another yeah. use case, what we think is really important, and I mentioned this several times before, is that we think it is very important in the future that the user can decide what messenger fits best for my needs without thinking, yeah. okay, is this messenger good enough that I can contact all the friends or my family or whatever I want to contact. So, And this yeah. is, I think, the most important thing we need to accomplish in Web3. And then, yeah, maybe export it to the Web2 world. So in Web3, we have a lot of different messaging protocols and applications appearing in the last year. So, Yeah, and more and more every day, it seems yeah, like. <laughs> at least every week, there is a new one popping up. And most of them are really right. good. And yeah, and they also have special focus for their special community. And it is good to have yeah. this diversity Because then if one app fits all, I don't believe is a good approach. Because mm -hmm. someone needs a very lean messaging application. Another one wants a messaging application where he has some, uh, some news feeds in it, or he wants to connect right. to a special community, have a token-gated access, and whatever. Uh, so there's no one app fits all approach which really can work. So and With, with the approach to being interoperable, we don't need this. The user can decide what is the best fitting tool for me. And then, yeah, if this tool is DM3 compatible, it can look up in ENS registry to any other yes. contact and can send it to this, this other contact. And if they are using the same approach or the same tool, yeah, of course, this could be internal communication. If they are using another tool, then they can use the DM3 protocol and bridge it to any other network. And when we think about the Web2 world, so at the moment, of course, they are very siloed. We have these different tools and they have no interoperability at all at the moment. But as at least here in Europe, there are some you know, things in, in work so that the regulation will enforce that this messenger also needs to be interoperable with others. And of course, mm -hmm. this can be done in a lot of different ways. But when you think that a centralized service offers, okay, 
All others can use my infrastructure to be interoperable. This will not work. The others will not use it. With Team 3, we have a decentralized approach, which can use by other decentralized protocols, but also by centralized protocols to be interoperable with others. And with this, we think there is a really good approach now available, which can solve this problem that messengers need to be interoperable. Yeah, it's interesting to think of ENS as the uh, kind of the profiles of profiles, a link tree that you can read right to uh, that allows people to say, hey, I am these uh, identities on WhatsApp, Facebook messengers and Discord, and then declare that as part of your profile. And that's how the interoperability happens. So if someone sends you something and they, you happen to not share a network, then they can say, well, let me send it to you in a Discord and somehow adopt my identity. I mean, federation is a hard problem because the other person needs to either have an identity or have a key uh, and, and, and making the Ethereum wallet a uh, a dependency is its own challenge, but maybe there's a way through yeah. account abstraction. And again, I think that's beyond the scope of our thing where we can just give people some kind of temporary accounts to use. Exactly. There will be different ways. And maybe also some Web2 services will offer a custody solution for their users. Right? Of course, if I'm right. using a Web2 messenger, I don't have a connection to my wallet. But to be yes. interoperable with DN3, of course, they need these keys. But yeah, in yeah. these cases, a custody solution could be also a solution to add these services to to this network. Yeah, it would be very nice if the the big uh, tech company end up being good uh, wallet provider. We see some third-party services that were like, hey, if you log in using Google, I'll give you a key. But then that's another third-party sitting between you and Apple. I would love if Apple give me a Web3 compatible Ethereum key to use as part of my keychain. That would be fantastic. And if they integrate it into my uh, my secure enclave, my phone, I trust it a lot more than some you know React Native uh, implementation of such user space encryption. So uh, then, and and that would be a nice thing to aim for. But I do see your point that a lot of the tools that we would need to bring the Web2 space in interoperability actually is experimented with and exists in the Web3 space. Uh, even though people think of Web3 as some spin-off from Web2 that is not going to deliver any value, but we're actually solving some of the uh, coordination thing that even the Web2 people wasn't able to do. And if we succeed successful in that, it does pave a way for them to plug in their user space and their, 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 their product development expertise into a coordination mechanism that we hopefully will have perfected by that. Exactly. Yeah, so that's why we say, yeah, let's start in Web3 space without this technology <laughs> using our ecosystem to, to show that it really works and that we yes. can provide interoperability. And then, yeah, spin out to the yeah. whole world. So, because then, if it's proven in the Web3 world, it can be extended to the Web2 world as well. Uh, absolute thing. And I think this idea of bridging between Web2 and Web3 is not really about, uh, like, uh, you know, everybody's going to integrate like financial product into their stuff. I think we are starting to see that the infrastructure of Web3 is really a general set of tools that just, you know, solves a set of problems that we may be trying to solve with SMTP and POP3 in a new way. And that now becomes a modern stack that you can integrate with, with very consistent. And as the tooling in the industry gets better, uh, like signing, for example, is a good way of uh, doing financial transaction, but it's also a good way of doing approvals uh, for, for organization and, we start with DAOs, but 
you know, how's any corporate decisions all that different than that? So there, there might be an opportunity to use the same set of uh, primitives of like, you know, smart contract wallets and approval limits to, uh, for corporate governance. And, and that's the stuff that excites me. I, I'm a, I'm a web three technology that spend quite a bit of time in the corporate world and understand how broken those processes are and, and, and hope that the tools we're inventing here can actually help provide a migration path onwards. There's not much to add to this. Yes, absolutely. Well, this was really illuminating for me, and I think we were able to uh, – I have your How DM3 Works uh, diagram in front of me, and I think we uh, – I'll, I'll post a link to, to uh, in, the, in the description uh, on YouTube. Um, uh, people can take a look at it. It's really, really good documentation for developers, for regular users, and for people interested in the architecture. And again, we are, we are adding to the architecture stack of Web3. Uh, we call it Land of the Web3 because it's like a really wide array of solution. It's not really just the uh, – perceptive that this is just NFT and trading. It's really about uh, a set of web adjacent or web enhancing solution that at, at its root is thinking about the protocol design that we started with the internet and RFCs in the original era of RFC 822 would be the email protocol. Like we are adding to that, we might call them EIP, we can call them CSCIP, whatever it might be. It is still within the same protocol design that I think is an art that we lost. Uh, we thought that a giant computer in a Facebook data center can do everything, and we're starting to see that, hey, maybe we should think about this as a network of computers. And, 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 and thank you for adding your particular insight into this field, and this sounds really, really good. Yeah, thank you very much. And also, we think that that's why we started, we call it the Messaging Interoperability Initiative, now, which, is, yeah, which had the goal to bring together all messaging providers, of course, from the Web3 world, but yeah, nobody... Is, is 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 enforced not to be there. So of course, also that two providers are invited, so that we can define what is really needed to make this possible. And yeah, mm -hmm. we, we now are starting to build or to connect to uh, protocols. So there are some implementation in work right now, and yeah, we hope to see in some months in the future that we have a lot of different protocols which are now connected in this way. To, yeah, to allow the user to decide what measure he wants to use and nevertheless being able to contact all others. All right, I think that's really good insight to uh, to talk about the important improbability, and I am definitely looking forward to see the integration uh, of the different protocol and follow them uh, for, uh, on on Twitter and and other places. Uh, what's the best way to keep uh, in touch with your project? Yeah, there are some ways you can follow us on Twitter with DMC DMC protocol. You can also go to our webpage. There are also other ways how to contact us. We have a common ground group where you can directly talk with us. Yeah, of course, you can use our ENS names and directly contact us using DM3. Right. <laughs> Dog fooding your own contact, right? That is really fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's the, the community is going to be really interesting to see someone take a different approach uh, to add to the versatile conversation. I think these things will all work together very well in the future because they are, they are the, the, the idea that the 
core infrastructure and cryptography. I mean, think about it. Ethereum successfully distributed public key and private key infrastructure in the way OpenGP or PGP in general didn't do. So it, we really can build on top of that uh, uh, that distribution that is, is 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 already available and proven at scale. Maybe not in the same use cases, but I think it's it's adjacent and and it can happen. Yeah. So thank you so much, Stefan, today for your for your conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was nice to be with you. Absolutely. And as always, a community, we do this uh, every two weeks uh, to uh, highlight these uh, new developments that's going on. And, and it's really exciting to uh, have you guys join us. And until next time, take care.